name is Tiffany Jarvis. I am a local real estate agent here in Lexington, Kentucky, and this is the podcast where I talk to my friends in the business about how they run their business, their their outlook on the industry ahead, and just how they stay woke in this industry. Um, we do deals with these people all the time, and we we see them for 30 days, and then they just disappear, and I'm here to change that. I want them to stay in my life. So today we have Alicia Huff. I have never met her before, really. Welcome to the Wokerage. Well, hello. It's good to be here. Thank you. <laughs> you are a broker owner, um, and you recently just moved your brokerage to ERA. I want to know why and, and why they were a good fit for you, and what makes you love ERA? Well, um, so I've been in the business since 2007, and I started at ERA, actually. Um, so I'm back home. Me Let's too. To I started there home. too. Yeah. Yes. So um, after being a business owner for and broker for the past six years, um, it wasn't even on the radar actually to. You've been to a do broker that, for six years. Six years. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And um, it just an opportunity came up that was just too good to pass up. I love ERA. I love the culture. Um, we Jane, love Greg. Yeah, and Greg. It's, it's we great. love Greg. Yeah. So. Um, so you are, are you taking over as the managing broker there? I am um, the manager and um, associate broker. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you are you nervous? Or are you just like, yeah, let's do this? I'm very excited. It's overwhelming <laughs> getting everything situated. You, and how, many agents, over there. how many agents are coming from Bluegrass? It's Bluegrass Property. Bluegrass Partners Pro- Trust. Partners Realty. Trust. Mm-hmm. And then and how many are coming over and how many will you be managing now? There's six of us that are moving over. So I'm trying to make that as seamless as possible to get them all moved over and, um, you know, acclimated to the whole environment over there. And now I think we have 48 agents. So, so. you're going to have 48 people that come to you for uh, the bad stuff. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, coaching agents and um, starting training classes. Really excited to be doing what I love to do and not have to deal with all the office management stuff yes. that I didn't want to deal with. So um, you, what did you do before this? You've been a broker for six years. What was Alicia's life before real estate? So when I moved to Lexington, um, I moved here from Ashland and um, started working for an appraisal company as their office manager. Okay. Did um, you want to be an appraiser? No, it was actually a temp service that got me connected with them. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had never, um, I wasn't even familiar with Lexington when I moved here. It's a big uh, so city. It, yeah. So um, didn't have the connections, any kind of sphere of influence here. Started working for them. I ended up, um, total, I worked for uh, the appraiser for seven years. But I was his office manager, and I just got so interested in all the work that they were doing. and But not appraisals. You were like, no. No, but Comparing the properties, touring the properties, and finding out the values of them. Wait, was when was this? What year was this that you that you were? So you, when did you move here? Moved here about two thousand and three. Okay, so this was before the 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 market and crash. And I got my license in two thousand seven. Okay, so mm-hmm. right before mm-hmm. everybody that I talked to says, you know, I I got my real estate license in oh seven oh eight, and I had no idea that the market was just crap. You know, I remember, um, actually, Greg told me when um, the market was tanking and I, my business was doing well, and he said, you know, if you're doing this well in this market, you're going to survive. Because yes. the people that had the business just handed to them, once they went through that recession, they didn't know how to handle it because yes. it wasn't so easy anymore. 
I never knew it easy. So it was always, I was always just going after it. So uh, that's, I mean, people are saying now that they're feeling a downturn in our market right now. Um, I I feel it sometimes, and then some weeks, like to like this week, I don't feel it. I feel extremely busy. But um, how how did you get business back then? Back when the market was bad, and has it changed today? I mean, you've been in for so long. It's probably now you're doing uh, repeat referral type clients. But yes. back then. You moved here from Ashland. You didn't have a spear, just like me. You, we built a business on strangers. I joined a networking group, so I put a lot of effort into getting business for other people. And so in, okay. in return, they wanted to support my business. So um, I put a lot of effort and time into that, meeting with other business owners and we're um, sending business back and forth with them. Do you think that's still a good thing for a new agent to start today? Absolutely. Get the, Build those partnerships and where um, do they find where do people find these network groups the one I joined was um BNI better networker or that's a big one yeah our group was the better networkers group um business networking international I think the, um the totaling but um someone a friend of mine that was in he actually was um Aflac insurance agent invited okay. me to the group. Okay. The realtor's seat is the hardest seat to find I'm in sure, any of those groups. I'm sure, because everybody wants it, and everybody's willing to, to pay, and everybody wants that seat. Yes. So. so once you have an opportunity, look for referral groups. There's other companies out now doing the kind of same similar thing, but once you have an opportunity to get in there, you work, stay those, in it. work those partnerships. And, you stay. And I worked for a builder as well, so I was sat, okay. through, sat in model homes and... Did okay. a lot of open houses. And so during the height of the market crash, you were working for a builder. Mm -hmm. Were they, and are they still around? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Briggs. Oh, Briggs. Briggs, Briggs is very with, much still around. Right. They're yes. big commercial now. But so they are a builder that survived that, <laughs> that crash. Yes. A lot of them did not. Yes. So, um, okay. So you, you worked in appraising before, well, you worked as an office manager in appraisals before this. Then you got your real estate license, and you you just jumped right in as a as a full time realtor. Yes, you know it's funny. I thought that um, getting out. So when I was expecting my first child, I thought, what am I going to do? Sitting in as an office manager, I'm paying someone else basically to take care of my kids because it's not exactly an income that's going to feed your family. So I thought, what can I do where I don't have to have a child care okay. every day so I thought real estate's flexible it's evenings and weekends it's what I it's what I thought it was awesome yes. um so I got into it right when my son was born and quickly learned that it's not just evenings oh, and weekends you don't it's get to work flexible. whenever you want to <laughs> I'm gonna get my license and I'll just I'll work whenever I want yeah, to it didn't happen that you way know. but I loved it so much I just dove right into it and have I was super busy unexpectedly so I it. I want to talk to you. You're a broker. You're you're young. Um, you're a female broker in a in a in a well. The industry is women dominated, but not being a broker. I want to talk to you about that and how. I mean, do you feel that? Are you when you got your brokers and you you own this company? Were you like, man, I am like going against the grain here? Like, did you feel like that? You know, I've I've always just been independent. I knew. When I started real estate, somebody had to own my own company. 
Um, every time I've been involved in something in some group, I've always been in a leadership role. In the BNI group, I was the secretary, treasurer, president, okay. the events coordinator. Um, I've always just taken that leadership role. So I Are knew you a I high would. D? Are you the high I, D? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just, um, I kind of expected that I would do that. I like, I wanted my freedom and independence, the the ability to step out of my own if I needed to and um, explore that. But I've loved it. You just did I it. I just did it. I, yeah. Just, so just how I'm wired. <laughs> you you do a ton of work for. I see you everywhere for Elbar, and you're on the leadership everything and NAR and all this stuff. You go to all these conferences. Um, what makes you want to do that? Are you you just like it? Like what makes you what makes you want to do all this like advocacy work for 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 the industry? Um, I think it's very very important to network with other realtors. Um, I learned early in my career when, when clients um, are out in public and they say they're buying a house, somebody says, oh, who's your realtor? And the worst thing is when they say, you know, Alicia, I've, oh, I've never heard of her. Yeah. So when clients come back to me and say, oh, I ran into Tiffany Jarvis at Kroger and she said, you're great. She loves working with you. That's the best compliment you can get from your colleagues. So um, I, I love networking with other realtors. That's where it started. But then I also think... Learning from realtors in other parts of the state, other parts of the country, yes. gives you new ideas. So everybody in Lexington's not doing the same thing. You're learning what people on the West Coast are doing. So um, I think that's why I started traveling to conferences to learn from different people. And, of course, leadership is just how I'm wired. So I wanted to um, – the more you learn about the association, the more you – for me, the more you want to get involved. You see things that you can make better and – so I just strive to continue to to learn, to make things better, and to stay involved. So kind of is for the realtor partnerships, but also just we're, if, if we're, Boy, this is our lifestyle, or like this is our income, this is our livelihood, you want to make it the best it can be. So if it's not me, who? You know, it's right. it's got to be somebody to step up and, true. and help lead us and learn. So I travel and, and learn things and bring it back and try to make our association stronger. So I, you've been doing this for a, a long time, and you you've seen. I mean, the now we're at what thirty five hundred realtors in Elbar, so you've seen it down to probably bottom in in you know oh eight oh nine, and then it came all the way up. So, and you travel a lot too, and you talk to a lot of other people. Do you think the industry has a bad reputation of? You know, you just open a door. Why you're a realtor? Like, are we stigmatized that we are? We're overpaid. That is definitely the perception to the public. Yes, um, and a lot of agents, as you know, the, as in good markets, we're flooded with more and more agents. That means more agents doing fewer transactions, so are less educated, less experienced. So it does it does give us a bad name? There are some that give the rest of us a bad name. Which is why I've also, another reason why I've wanted to be so involved at the Association to Teach. I've been on the um, Young Realtors of Bluegrass Committee for six years now. And that started, I just, I guess that was the first step of getting involved. And then once I learned that we do the education every other month, we have those lunch and learns where I'm we're going, teaching. I'm going on Monday. I love them. Was the first time I was asked to be on, I guess it was right when I got my broker's license, I was asked to be on a panel and it was about setting up your business and um, goal setting. 
and I was nervous as can be, oh, but God. I loved it. <laughs> After that class ended, I thought, I want to do this again. So I've been on more and more and more panels over the past, I guess, five years. And, um, but it's a passion of mine to teach and, and to teach realtor etiquette, to teach how, yes. to, how to work with buyers, how to work with sellers, how to cl- set client expectations so that it helps everyone. It, gives us, it makes us all look good when we all know what we're doing and are informed. I have recently started to do this, too. I, I, I kind of got, when you're working, uh, buyers and sellers, buyers and sellers, it's, you, it almost got to just be um, not boring, but just like it's just an everyday thing. You know, it kind of felt monotonous to me. So I've started to move towards education a little bit. But, you know, that's a hard thing to do because you see – you know, some people, and I'm, you know, part of me thinks, well, look, if I can do this, anybody can do this. But I don't always feel that way. I, I, I see some people and I'm like, you know, I don't know how to tell you, but you're just, you're not going to make it. You know, how do you, I'm sure you come across people like that, you know, even maybe at your own brokerage that you're like, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're here, but maybe you're not going to make it. How do you deal with something like that? Oh, that's a good do question. Do you just tell them, like, you know, maybe maybe you should not do this? <laughs> well, um, I haven't actually had to deal with that too much. Um, the way my business has been and the agents that have come to me, I've never recruited. I have just met people, mm-hmm. and they have wanted to, to come along on my journey. Okay. Um, the reason I got my broker's license, I had said, if it's just me, Working out of my house, that would be fine. But if there's other agents that that respect what I'm doing and want to learn from me, I w- I'm happy to teach them. I'm happy to teach everyone I can that wants to learn. Um, so the efforts I've put into agents have been because they've wanted to be around me. They've wanted to learn. Okay. So, um, you know, as now I'm moving into that a I'm moving bigger, into a bigger yeah, brokerage, brokerage. That's that's yeah. going to happen, and yeah. I don't exactly have experience for that. Um, I I believe you put in as as much effort as you're going to get out of them, I have already established that. I'm not going do to. Do you kind of, do you feel like me in a way that like, look, you know, I can do this. I can teach anybody how to do this. But, you know, I can't, I can't lead a horse to water. They right. say, like, if you're willing to put in the work and you're, you know, you're a people person, you're friendly and you're good, you love on people, you know, why can't you do this? Right. So, I don't know. That's, that's a hard Education is it's fun, it's awesome, but it's it's really hard when you because I've met those people that I'm like, why are you doing this? Right. But and they'll you, it, tell? you know they'll they'll weed themselves out. That's when what, it comes time for dues, those big dues dollars yes. are rolling. They'll yes, they'll get out of the business. What would you tell a new a new if someone comes up to you and they're like, you know, I've been thinking about getting my real estate license. What do you tell that person? I would love to talk to everyone who's considering getting their real estate license because it is the worst thing when they come in to the business and they didn't know what to expect. Um, I had an agent join my company after six weeks at a a brokerage that was promised something and he had no idea what, what all fees were involved, what all, what all entailed. So um, I would love to talk to agents that are interested. I would tell them it's not cheap. It's not cheap. so, um, you know, there's so much money involved to get your business set up so much you have to learn. So you need to be prepared, the financial investment that it takes and business does not come easy. It might, no matter how many agent or how big your sphere of influence is, how many people, you know, 
it could still take six months to get your first yes. deal. That's that's the normal time. So um, just setting those expectations. This is how much money you owe. This is the education you need. This is the test that you'll take. These are the steps. Are you prepared for that? And once they're prepared for all that, they're they're going to be set up. So I, I want to ask you how we change this perception. Uh, you know, how do we, there's so many, there's a lot of big box brokers out there um, that, you know, the perception is, well, they will take anybody. And there's a lot of things. I talked to a broker a couple days ago, actually, that had uh, a ton of agents, a huge brokerage. And he said, well, we've scaled back a lot because he spent, I think, $40,000 on attorney fees reeling these people in. You know, things hit the fan, and you've got to pay an attorney. And all these new people that were very inexperienced had cost him a ton of money. So how do we stop this? How do we get – how do we stop people from coming in, you know, that that maybe they shouldn't? You know, I've had a lot right. of people say, well, maybe you should just up the dues, make it expensive. And I'm like, okay, so does that mean people with money are qualified to do this? Because I don't, I don't know if I agree with that, but how do, how do we stop this from just anybody coming in? This has been an issue that we were trying to tackle. At, it's a um, national level yes, thing. Yes. yes. Um, we talk about it a lot at Elbar as the leadership team and on the board of directors and um, even on the state level. I think it comes down to brokers. I, I brokers agree with educating that. their agents. I agree with that. And, and I was the only one at the company that I'm I'm at that said, you know, I don't think we're going to stop people from coming in. It doesn't mean you as a broker has to hire them. You don't right. have to hire right. them. So and the local association level, we are, um, well, on the state association level, we there's more um, continuing education requirements. It's so that's where we're starting. It's a lot more now than it even was five years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I came in, I take two classes a year. but <laughs> Yeah, and the PLE, uh, pre-licensing or post-licensing education, that has increased. So it, agents will have in the first two years, have to take extra classes. Do you think that's helping? That's helping a lot of, of a lot of people. I I think maybe it's too early to tell. Uh, it's just been a year that that's been okay. enforced. So um, your first year is going to be hard anyway. Right. Right. I so, mean, really. So who knows yet? Right. So we um on the state level the post licensing education has increased. These um, our local level we are trying to get more brokers involved. We're having broker forums um, every other month to try to get more brokers to educated so they can educate their agents and. Um, what a concept! Right, <laughs> and then the YRB panel, the Young Realtors Bluegrass, we're focusing every other month on how to educate agents, and then um, we're trying to get more instructors at Elbar to have more classes and have more different classes because they right. they all seem to be uh quite similar from right. years past right but it's an issue we are constantly <laughs> discussing and constantly trying to tackle how to how to uh, make agents better so i want to ask you a question that i thought about when i went to the um the the dinner and that was the first event that i had been to in five years the um where the where the presidents were running and the directors were running and all that stuff and I got there and I I you you said on the board I mean you've been 
with Elbar and, and the national level too for a long time. And I look around and it doesn't look as diverse as I thought it should. I mean, you know, how do we how do we change that? How does Elbar get more, you know, African American members or Asian members or whatever? Like how do we how do we change that? I love that you asked me that. Um, we have I've never asked anyone that. <laughs> so. We have um, again our leadership at our leadership retreats. We have um, two of those a year at Elbar, and um, we have classes on diversity to try to encourage more people. So it is a thing. We, they really is, we have it's focused not just on me. it. Me personally, as I've been on the board for the last three years, um, I've witnessed our leadership team has focused on it. Cool. intensely for the last three years um, we do encourage everyone to run we encourage um you know we it's it's definitely a thought that we're we're, we're just, all working not just toward, on the board level as, but um, on just on a realtor level level in general um have have you seen the newsweek i have to talk about this all the time the newsweek story have you seen it the they did a, a three-year so. study um, I think I put it on the Elbar Facebook page, but they did a three-year study in Long Island and about real estate agents, and they went undercover as a as a buyer and wore cameras, and they it would it would be a white person and then like an African American person and an Asian man and a Hispanic man, and they would all go in and the realtors I think it was out of all the realtors in three years that they had talked to. Only two of them didn't discriminate against the other clients that weren't white. It's wild. You should mm-hmm. watch this. It is it is wild. Like, how do we how do we go about changing something like that? Like, you know, you talk we talk about fair housing, we can do classes, and they went undercover in the classes too, and they found that they talked about fair housing for like fifteen minutes and the rest of the class they just told stories. It was wild. You got to watch this. I like, just had a fair housing class, <sighs> continuing education class, just last week, and it was eye opening. The stories that um, the guy came in to talk about. I don't know how we tackle it. You know, I mean, I, I you got to watch it. When it's I wild. was um, when I was r- running for president elect of Elbar just a couple months ago, I had an agent reach out to me, um, an African American girl, and she said, "You know, I see your video here. I had a video that showed all of the things, a lot of the events and things that I had been a part of to show my involvement in the association." And she said, "You know, you'll get my vote if you answer this question for me. <laughs> why is, are why is it not more diverse? The pictures in your video. Wow, it really made you think. Didn't yeah, it? and like, I said, you know." I hadn't thought about it. We there's, I don't think there has even. I, I don't know why. You know, we we, know. we try to get more people involved every chance we get on yeah. committees, and um, I I mean, I don't know, I, but I we do have classes same. on diversity at our retreats to to uh, you know open our eyes to it, and but it's not you know it's, certainly not intentional. Uh, no, <laughs> it's not. But and even the to, the agents on the in the in the video, it wasn't. In, I don't think it was intentional. But they would, 
they would send, you know, two MLS searches, they would send one buyer, you know, more listings than this one and different neighborhoods. And, oh, you don't want to be there. The schools are bad. And they would always say, they would always kind of blame it on bad. You don't want to live there. The schools are bad. And it's just, it really made, it made me think, it made me look internally and be like, wow, like, am I doing that? Am I, you know, I don't have kids. So when someone talks to me about schools, I'm like, I ain't got kids. I don't know if it's good or bad. (laughs) Ask me about dog care. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Ask me where to get your Jeep fixed. Like, I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was eye opening. So let's, let's go back. Let's reel it back. Um, I want to talk to you more about your business now because you are still a selling broker, right? You still do listings and buyers and you do it all. So um, do you find that there is an advantage to a a managing or a principal broker that is still selling real estate? Um, To the public, when I meet with clients, I I feel like I do get more respect. Like I'm a broker. Because (laughs) before, you know, I look younger even than I am. And so... People, you know, I just felt like they discounted what I had to say because I'm young. What could I possibly know? And you're a young, beautiful, with- <laughs> blonde lady. You know, I, I, which is, you know, and I'm like, oh man, she's a broker. She owns the company. Like, you know, it, it's cool. Yes, yeah, but there's been several people that just didn't take me seriously. So, you know, going in saying I'm a principal broker, I'm, I own this company, and they just they listen more. So, um, it has it has helped with clients. Um. Not so much in business since I've, I'm now devoting more time to developing other agents. I'm not focusing on myself and my own sales. I sell enough to pay my bills, but I focus on helping other agents. And that, of course, that takes away from my own personal time selling. So I don't sell as much as I could because I, I spend You're my time on I spread, helping, other, helping people other people sell as much as they mm-hmm. could. So are you in the, in the beginning, were you working more? Well, really now, are you working more buyers or sellers? Sellers. And how do you, how do they come to you? Are they repeat referral since you've, you've built a black book of business over the years? 100% you know? is repeat referral. Okay. I just, um, 12 years in the business now I've, I'm working with clients that I, that I, started with so, so you we we all know that that era is a big they're a huge zillow partner they are big into that machine i'm big into that machine i will full on like i just love it and what are your thoughts on that because you're going to a company that that is a zillow machine you know are you a fan I, are you like i yeah, hate feeding it. that machine <laughs> i hate giving them money <laughs> I hate it. Um, I personally don't give Zillow my money, but I also understand that that is that is a big lead source to a lot of agents, and it is something that I guess it's such a big machine you can't ignore it. So take advantage, I guess. Is um, that a different but, training level? Because ERA is so big into this that you know used to you would train people on how to work your spear and. You know, now we're we're kind of switching on new people coming in. They might be moving here from Alabama, and they don't have a sphere like us. I mean, are you are you having to kind of change your your way of education into you know how to build it on strangers and Zillow and open house versus the the sphere? I think it comes down to personality. Um, some people are very good at um, converting those leads. And some agents I know have 
one of my agents just she's put eight under contract in the last month and a half, all from leads, online wow. leads. She's a killer. But I have paid I paid two years into a company got leads. I have hundreds, probably two hundred leads. I didn't convert any of them. So it just comes down to how how yes. you want to do your business. I focused more on my referral customers, and I didn't. So if I was working with them, I didn't respond to an online lead quickly enough. And so it just depends on per- people's personalities. Greg is doing an excellent job training agents at ERA how to convert those leads, and the ones that you know are are working those are are seeing success from it. So I can't knock it, but it, for me, it's not. It's not my thing. Um, so I hear all the time, you know, when I was new, it was the broker on the broker level. It was a lot of you've got to work open houses every Sunday and you've got to you've got to do this. You've got to do that. Like and I it it it, it kind of hurt me in the beginning because I I didn't fit that model of I'm terrible at open houses. I was better on the phone for two hours on a Sunday cold calling than than open house, but I never knew that. I didn't know that until recently about myself. So on an education level, I mean, you're, you're taking over this big responsibility there. Um, are you, you're kind of noticing people's personalities and kind of tailoring them to what you think might, you know, maybe someone will be good on a cold call. I don't know. Like, I don't know how to recognize that either. You know, how do you recognize something like that? Well, I encourage all agents to do open houses. It is the easiest way. Buyers are literally coming to you. Um, but I also recognize, me personally, open houses are it. not good for me. Not I, it's, me I'm, either. I'm very uncomfortable and awkward when Same. someone just walks right in and approaches me. Same. I, I'm just, I'm weird. I aggravate the hell yeah. out of people <laughs> that come in on their own. And I'm like, you're the only people. Let me love you. Yeah. And then if there's 15 people, I don't know who to talk to. So. Right. But then there's some personalities that when they walk through the door you just connect with them and are just comfortable with them so you those are the those are the buyers that I have been able to work with and and still today or you know have right now I'm working with an I'd say it's the fifth fourth or fifth transaction that I've had with this girl and it's because she originally came into my model home wow the majority of the time I you know was not successful for me I'm not productive but I did get business out of it and I so agents that are looking for business that's definitely the first thing I would recommend doing is setting an open house so you um where where do you want to go at ERA you know in the future where do you see this this business where do you see that company in a year from now and in five years from now with with Alicia Huff you know kind of at the helm well, I am so, so excited. Um, Greg and I both are just, we think this is the best thing that's happened to this company for probably both of us in our career. I get to do what I love, and that is coaching agents and training and, and building everybody's business, um, whoever will allow me to, to do help. You, you do know? you think you um, want to grow it like bigger, bigger than 48, 48 people? Is that important to you to growing this or, or are you okay with just, you know, if it's 48, 50 people and they're just like super quality people, then that's, I, that's cool. I think making the ones we have more successful um, will we'll just or, it will organically grow because people will see, wow, you guys know what you've got it going on over here. You, you, you know what you're doing. Your agents are all um, educated and respected in the real estate community and 
I think that people are going to see that and they're going to want to be at the company because they see the tools that we offer. We see the, you know, all the, um, all of the good things that, that are offered there with the competitive uh, commission structures. All I mean, it's just they have a wonderful it's going to be CRM. a place where why would, why would you not want to be there? That's, that's our they goal. Have a, they have a killer <laughs> CRM. I, that's right. I do know that. It's it true. Um, so are there, I'm sure there are advantages and disadvantages of coming from, you know, a, a, a small locally owned brokerage to, you know, a realology, a, a big machine, you know, company. What are what are those advantages and maybe some disadvantages? Like, well, the way we were looking at it is um, our offices, mine, um, independent office compared to Greg's ERA Select, were very similar as far as our office culture and um, it's kind of younger, like you know, everybody just meshes very well. It feels like family and. What we were looking at was, it, so it's basically the same thing that we have, but now on steroids. We have more tools, and we have so much more resources and more people to collaborate with and do more with. Um, Greg and I got into business at the same time, so it's I'm not getting into something where I don't know who I'm working with. We already know each other's personalities. We've been friends for almost 13 years, so um, there's no surprises there. I, I, you know, it's new, but... Um, I can't see any, I can't see any downside at this point. It's just an exciting opportunity. So how do you how do you balance this uh, this life? I mean, you you are you're everywhere. Your face is everywhere. You're you're kind of you're kind of like the face of Elbar in a way. I see you more than I see you more than Justin. I I think. Excellent. Um, <laughs> so how do you you know you have a family, you have children. How do you manage all of this? It's tough. I still haven't, I st- I still haven't figured out the work-life balance. <laughs> um, it's a constant struggle. But, you know, I, I have set boundaries. I know, um, you know, I'm, I stick to my schedule. and this, These are the times that I'm available to do this, and I just divide my time. Are you a time blocker? A time, a time block, uh, you know, I, I, I'm on the phone from 9 to 11 and, you know, through the week and whatever. Are you, are you one of those people? I work, yes, yes, but I easily get distracted. I easily get sidetracked as soon I'm as. I'm jealous of those people. As like. soon as something else pops up, you know, I easily um, can, can be steered away to do something else. But I try to, you know, I know on these days, this is my standing meetings and this is what's going to happen. Nothing's going to interfere with what's going on you know, on, on certain dates. So I try to just stick to my schedule and just divide my time up. Um, it's important. It's it's very important for me to help our association. It's very important for me to help other agents. It, it's also very important for me to, to earn money and to sell. sell. Yeah. Um, and then my kids, they, they've they been in older? real estate. They're 10 and 12. Okay, so they're so kind of older, independent. When like- I started at ERA, Aiden was in a little carrier he was I don't know a couple months old and he was in a carrier he I had a playpen it was easy back then I had my own office I had a playpen in my office and he was he took he went everywhere I went Um, so now my clients said they can't even believe how big he is now after seeing him you know when he was two months old those repeat clients but um so they've my kids have just always been in it they they go up and ask people if they can see their home because they think that's the norm (laughs) but um so they they go with me a lot of places and um, maybe they'll sell real estate in the future yeah. too. I mean, maybe they'll follow in that. Well, um, Ty, your your partner, mm-hmm. um, 
I, I would say partner. Um, he, he is also a, a realtor broker. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been curious why you guys aren't a, a team. Why are you not like together at the same brokerage? Are you, do you kind of battle it out? Like, like <laughs> yeah, mine's better. <laughs> no, we work, we, we work well together. Um, we, you know, I, I always bounce ideas off of him. It's very good to uh, have somebody in your life that's, that knows the industry completely. And, you know, we, we discuss everything and um, share ideas with each other. Never been competitive. We've, sometimes we coalesce things together. Cool. Um, but we're together a lot. So I just didn't think, you know. Are you guys, uh, are you all, are you all doing investments too? Are you working investment properties and, and owning rentals and thing and flipping and things like that too? Or No, not this time. I mean, have he you, has a he I has a lot he, of experience in that, I but I, he did. I have yeah. not joined him in that venture yet. That's not so. I I meet a lot of agents that are very passionate about the you know investment properties or multifamily or, or even commercial, and and I I just can't. My brain just doesn't work that way with all the. It's all about numbers and. You know, I love the I love the emotional attachment to a, a, a buyer or a seller. And the commercial world, they or the investment world, they just don't feel that. They're like, it's about money and that's all it is. Right. So uh that's that's an interesting that those are the properties that he and I team up on, uh, our investors, because he does have that experience, way more experience with that than I do. So um, you know, I talk to them, I build a relationship with them, I make they they know me, like me, trust me, and then I'm like in not that they definitely they, <laughs> they like time too. I'm not saying <laughs> no. they don't, but he's in the background doing all the numbers, saying this is what makes sense for them financially. And, okay, um, and he has the property management experience. And do you um, all do all any that. commercial, so we, or have you ever done commercial, or would what yeah. would you do if an, a new agent of yours, uh, your brokerage, comes up and says, "Hey, I've got this commercial deal." Would you encourage them to work that, or or partner, or refer that, or what would what would you do? I. I think it depends on the the, the size of it, uh, the, the, but I I personally do like one commercial deal a year, so I know about it, but I'm not you know an expert on it. I have good commercial realtor friends that I would have them partner with, probably or at least start the conversation with them to to see at what point you know they partner or can just maybe pay them for extra advice or something or their network. But I would encourage them to work it. So what makes you what makes you still passionate about this after all these years? That is a good question. Um, this business is such a roller coaster. You definitely can get in a slump and say, "Why am I doing <laughs> yeah. this? Why am I doing this?" And and still being a business owner, being in it for this long, it's those kind of days still definitely happen. Um, but then you get this client. That is just so extremely grateful for you and for your guidance, and and it makes it all worth it. You say, this is why I'm in this business. This person is, I've just made a difference. I have protected the largest investment that they'll likely make, and they're so thankful they, and they couldn't have gotten this deal without me, or they couldn't have made it through this process as seamless as they did without me, and just their gratitude and we become friends and the friendships that I make with them, you know, every now and then there's of course a deal that just for whatever reason, there's, it just, you can't, it can't be easy. Um, but then, you know, those, those 
friends that you make and the, the happiness that comes with it just makes it all worth it. So let's talk about a nightmare deal that mm. you've done. Let's let's spill the tea. Uh, <laughs> so tell me about, I, everybody's got that deal in their head. Everybody knows that deal in their head that they're like, oh, that was so, so bad. Tell me about it. <laughs> what always, what I have found out from my experience is it always comes from client expectations. Without setting those client expectations up front, whether it be a This is going to be bad from the get-go. Here yes. we go. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to set expectations or they try to run you and then you lose control of the whole process. So, um, which is what I'm trying to just drill in all of the agents that I'm speaking to, all of their heads, set those expectations up front to avoid all of these bad things. But, um, you know... It's easy to lose control of the process if they don't. They think that they need to tell you when and where and what to do. But um, one terrible experience that I had was resulted in a dual agency. So I said, I'll never again represent a buyer and a seller. I don't like to do you that. Gotta, I, yeah. I need another agent on the other side to speak truth into that person yes. because if, if you're representing both people, sometimes they don't trust you. And um, So that uh, very terrible deal it turned out how, to be... How long ago was it? Uh, this was four years ago. See, we remember. Um, we mm-hmm. remember this. <laughs> it was a, it, There was a divorce involved, so there was angry partners and angry I've had a few people. of those. It was, oh, gosh, it was awful. Yeah, I've had a few of and those. It's hard to get somebody to trust you when they think that you're working for the other side. No, I'm, I'm working for you, and I'm helping them. You can. You can work both sides, but without another agent, sometimes they can't get that through to them so so I want to I want to go back to your your BNI days and your networking days and you join a networking group so how would you have handled let's say there's a lender in your networking group that's just terrible and you hated working with them and they never could close a deal um and do you feel obligated that you have to throw that person business still or or how do how does that how does the networking groups kind of weed out people that you know because they're paying they're paying customers they're paying to be there mm-hmm. and how do you how do you handle something like that well I was in the group for 10 years so, so I'm sure I you had seen went through some... several different lenders yeah. yes it is very important to have a good relationship with the lender um, having those hard conversations with them saying look this is not going to work I've um, you know you, you give them a chance. They mess up. They're We're human. It's okay. Well, first, they're, <laughs> they're human. It's okay. Let's make sure this doesn't happen again. If it's repetitive, I sit down with them and say, hey, this is, this is what I expect from you. This is what my clients expect from both of us. We have to get this right or this partnership doesn't work. So there's been I, – I stayed in there 10 years, and I would say we probably had seven or eight different wow. loan officers to come and go. Um, that's a lot. Yeah, but (laughs) (laughs) you have to have that, you have to have that hard conversation of this is, this is what the clients expect. I'm not going, you, I'm not going to just send you business because you're in this group. You've got to earn it. Everyone in the group should understand that they have to earn the business from everyone. So let's say, so you're, you're, you're a broker, you're an owner and you, there's an agent in your office, let's say that does something that is uh, very unethical, and they're a seasoned agent, and they know better, and you know that they know better. And 
you know, what do you, how do you handle a situation like that? Are you having a conversation with them just saying, you know, you know better, you got to do this, you got to do that? Or are you just saying, you know, you know better, I'm going to need you to go to another brokerage? Yes. You say, I'm going to need you to go to another brokerage. Good for I, you. Um, I ask I, this to a lot of brokers that I meet, and, and it's it's a lot of different answers. You know, you'd, you'd be surprised. That was the hardest lesson I had to learn as a broker. Um, you know, when you – it's easy to just want to get all the agents you can, and so you don't really ask all the right questions, and you might get an agent that you didn't – you didn't know what you were getting yourself into. I did that, and um, – I actually consulted with Greg um, and said, Greg, what, how do I handle this? And so I, I got advice from, from different brokers, but um, that was a very hard thing to do is to finally, so you've, you've had finally to do say it. you have, you've got to go. This is, wow. we've, you know, I've, I've tried, I've told you we've. Cause you become close to these people. They're, 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 you know, they're your agents. They're your friends. Yeah. So I've learned what questions to ask, what to do, to, how, you know, how to, how to really understand what you're getting into before I, you know, we're not going to bring on just any agent. We're going to make sure ahead of time that they have the right ethics and, and the right mindset. And, and if they don't, you're gone. If, yeah. yeah. Go somewhere else. Find somewhere else to go. <laughs> and the hard part is, do you call that other broker that's bringing them on to warn them? A lot of people know. You yeah. know, they, they, yeah. they know. They're aware. That's that's trouble for me. I'm like, my friend is taking them. I should warn them, but you don't want to talk bad about somebody. Yeah, so. what do I do. That, what do you that do? is hard. That's hard <laughs> on a broker level. I yeah. I have considered getting my brokers, and I have been told by some people that it is extremely difficult, and then other people tell me that oh no, it's easy. What do you think? I mean, someone that's very busy. I mean, selling fifty homes a year, and I want to get my brokers. What would what would you tell me? Like, is it is it that difficult, or could could I produce like that and still get my brokers? Um, the classes and the the tasks that you have to do in the classes, the tests, they are difficult. Um, it was, yeah. There's a lot. Look, my boyfriend going has take, he is an MBA and he's an engineer, and he was like, it was nothing. And I'm like, my brain don't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying, and you're trying to sell and do your your job, and then in you know on the side, still having to take the classes and study and do all. It, it's a lot of extra work that that will likely affect your production through that year that you're doing that. But um, if it's too it definitely depends on the person I'm talking to and what advice I would give them. If if it's just somebody, you have to be in the business for two years. If it's an agent that's just, they're reaching their two-year mark and they just want to get their broker's license to be on their own, I would say, absolutely do not do it. You can't possibly know. You don't have enough experience. That's to, not me. And, no. and the classes that you take <laughs> do not prepare you for being a broker. Ah. You learn things. You You have to provide a business plan and... And, but they don't but teach you, you don't. how, you know, when agent comes up and they've done, they broke the law and they've done something very unethical and, you know, here, clean up this mess. Right. You're, you're responsible <laughs> for that person and you're responsible for yourself too. If you So if you don't have enough experience in it, it's not a good idea. Um, if you've been in the business several years and you just want to have that extra education and have your license for in the future, you might want to branch off, then say, yes, it, it empowers you. You, you definitely learn from it. You definitely 
gain more respect for having it, it, it is definitely a benefit. But not for just the agent that just doesn't want to pay a, a commission split oh, anymore. And they just want to be on their own. You, there's too much. You don't think I should start the woke ridge? <laughs> well, if you do, I'm here to help you <laughs> along the I way. If you ever no, have any experience or need any advice, <laughs> so you drive a big old Jeep too. Yes, I love and my Jeep. I I love it too. It's it's kind of a love hate relationship though, really, because I drive a two door and you have a four door Jeep, and mine is so high maintenance. Like when I I imagine getting a sign into mm-hmm. into that, like it's not easy. But I thought, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to just get a regular car or a regular SUV. And then I'm like, no, that's who I am. Yes. <laughs> everyone, everyone sees me or I drive a big old green Jeep and everyone knows me and they're like, oh, I saw you, you know. Yeah. People take pictures and text me like, <laughs> yes, I just saw I you got going that back. Too. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't, I can't let it go just yet. And clients either love it or they hate it. So there's some people that they want to ride with you, especially if the Jeep top is off. Oh, I never get any. No one ever wants to ride with but me. Then, crawl, crawl on in that back seat. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's others that say, hey, why don't you just ride with me? And so they'll drive around the showings instead of riding with me. Yes, please. <laughs> I'll ride with them. <laughs> yes, please. So my last question is, what do you what is what do you do for fun? How do you unwind in this? Because you've got a lot going on. How do you unwind? I love to travel. I love to uh, the beach is. It's my favorite place. I love to. Uh, Do you think you'll probably, ever move to the beach? You'll yes. Ever, so yes, someday you'll so. you'll be selling real estate in Florida. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is my goal. Um, I I'd, I'd say we go to the beach probably four times a year. Just hop on Allegiant flight or Dream. Frontier flight and just it's um, so cheap and just like, go for a few days and recharge and come back. People are all the time saying, you're at the beach all the time. I can't believe how often you go. But, you know, for a, for a little short weekend trip, it, it definitely helps. But, um, and on these trips, like if I go to a conference in San Francisco, I might fly up two days early or stay two days late so that I still get to experience the area that I'm going to. So it doesn't. What's your favorite place? To, what's your favorite conference that you've been to um, and favorite city that you've been to? Because they might be mm. different. It's hard. I love I love San Francisco. I love the National Association of Realtors Conference. I loved it too. And then I saw how how like high those hills were that you had to walk, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't like it anymore. <laughs> well, I love it because Napa and Sonoma Valley are so close. I've and, never been there. Um, so we just get in a car and spend a day or two sightseeing, make the most of the trip. Um, but I also love Washington D.C. I love going there I for um, mid-year. Um, I'm a champion of the Realtor Political Action Committee and um, an investor in that, which is where we advocate for homeowners' rights, and I'm very passionate about that. Has there ever been a candidate that you did not support that that our PAC did support? Yes. Ooh, that makes you burn, it's, don't yes, it? Yes, but it, it, so it took me a long time. It would I, be. I, you know, I, I care too much about this or I care more about that. If we, and it really was, but when I became a broker is when I really took it seriously and said, you know what, if this is my livelihood, if this is what I'm passionate about, then we need to make sure that this industry stays relevant and that homeownership is the most important thing. So, yes, somebody, I might not have the same, you know, I might not agree with some candidates, but if they listen to us and they 
are also champions of home ownership. They're champions of the real estate industry. Then they get my support because that's that's what we are. That's what we're doing. That's what we are. You know, I'm going to ask you trying to protect. I want to ask you about the urban services boundary line, and if you if you agree with that or if you do not. I agree with smart expansion. Okay. I don't think the boundary should just be extended just to build neighborhoods on top of horse farms. That was never the intention of um, anybody at Elbar for taking the stance for um, growth. But there, we can't deny that there are some parcels of land beyond that boundary that is just not being used the way it could be. So I feel like identifying which parcels could be developed and considering those individually. And instead of saying, no, there's, there's no growth beyond this line, I just I think um, we need to grow. We, I'm a big fan of like urban growth and well, coming from Nashville, it was there's it's there is a lot of teardowns there and I'm not necessarily saying that you should just tear down historic blocks like they do in Nashville. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff downtown that we could we could expand. We could go up instead of going out, we could go up and you know, I think there's a market for that. Millennials and young people like myself would would want to live downtown. Right. So, yeah. I, you know, I traveled with um, the Chamber of Commerce to um, on their leadership visit this past summer. I thought it was incredibly valuable. But um, one of the classes that w- I sat in on one of the meetings was gentrification without displacement. I just talked about this with Karen. It's very, it's very interesting. Do you think that in downtown Lexington we have a gentrification problem? Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I think... I think it's just an issue that's really difficult to find a, a good solution for. It you is. Know, of course, we need to um, improve our neighborhoods, but you also have to consider you don't want to raise it, the value so much that people can't stay there. You don't want people to have to move out of their neighborhoods, and how do you fix them up without disturbing so many people? Um, how do you make them more diverse? Uh, it, it's, it's definitely – I'm. The powers that I'm be, very, smarter people than than I guess you and I will, they will they're going to work this out. Yeah. Like, you know, but we, you know, Fayette County. I read, I read somewhere when this election was going on. I think the mayor's race was going on, and um, the David O'Neill came in and said that we we are not the the biggest like growing county, which you would think that we would be. In our market, it was Scott County, and it was um, Nicholasville, and there were all Richmond. It was all these places that were growing way more than we were. And it's like we are the we are the city here. You know, we can we can handle all these people, I would think. But um, and he had polled a lot of people on his page, I think, and the most people said that. We don't want them here. We don't want more people in Fayette County. Let them go to the outside counties. And I'm like, man, we should not be that way. No, you know, we, we should not be that way. We are going to have to get down with this change that, have you ever heard the number of people that are coming? It's like, what's our population now? 350? They say we're going to be at like 450 in, in 10 years or something. Like, we've got to embrace these people. We've got to change. Right. There it's, are thousands hundreds of thousands of people coming in we don't have housing for we these don't people. have housing need, for those people we need to find a solution um 
And I don't think it's necessarily the government's problem. You know, at the in the meetings I sat in, they said, well, we have these tax incentives for this, and we did that. I don't – I think it, it's also our community problem. I think I think the realtor – the real estate industry and, and all of the people that are – involved in that real estate industry should should find solutions to it. I hear realtors um, even saying that and I'm like, you know, we we are supposed to be for everyone to have I want more housing. Right. I want more. I want more people to buy. I would love for them to buy with me or you, you know, but whatever. But, like, and not everybody I just can, want them to buy. But it all can't be right in downtown Lexington. No, like it can't, can't. Where I mean our our infrastructure is not going to hold that many you know, our roads, mm-hmm. traffic is already terrible. So all of that, I mean, we need, we do need to, we to grow. We need to expand out. a little smart, yes. smart, smart expansion. That's yes. Not just. So I said last question, but my, this will be my last question to you. <laughs> you, you are with, you are a, a huge with like NAR. You're on the national level. You are follow that stuff probably more than just about anybody that I know. What is, what is the talk at the national level about the industry? What is changing? What's coming? What do they want to, to happen? Um, well, the positive thing is our message that on a national level, who, who we are. Who we are. Who we are as realtors. Um, we are trying to get that message out that we do more than sell real estate. We do we, more than open a door. We do so much more. <laughs> and we are trying to get that message out to you know, improve our profession and improve the perception of realtors. So... Um, they are really focusing on branding us, you know, to to show so, how show how much we do. Um, okay, so they are but, they're taking notice that the industry yes. has kind of gone. You know, we we don't have a great perception, and they they know that, and they're they're working to change that. Right. So um, there are more commercials going out showing what realtors what realtors do. Uh, they're encouraging us to share our stories. Um, every realtor that you talk to, encourage them. Why? What? What do you do? Why do you do it? I do. Um, I ask them. I want to know. Yeah, I'm so, nosy. Um, <laughs> you know, at, at Elbar, we volunteer. We build. There's so much. There's a lot things going, going on. on there at really Elbar is. That's not even really publicized enough. So we are going to focus this next year on um, just getting that message out. That we do more than sell homes. We we do a lot in our communities to improve our community and um, our industry. Do you know what I really wish Elbar would do? And this might get me, this might not be the best thing to say. But what I would love to see Elbar do, there's a lot of wholesalers out there. And there's a lot of people taking advantage of a lot of people. And I just want, I just wish Elbar could just be like, you're done. Like, mm-hmm. You know, I'm like just, you know, wholesaling is half the money. And I wish that Elbar could do like a campaign or something that just uh, educates the public that wholesaling is half the money. Yeah. Use a realtor. Right. So, you know, that might not be the best thing for me to say, but that's what I would love Elbar to do. But, um, yeah, we need to brainstorm that and see what what (laughs) message we can come up with. But so they are, they're working on changing the industry. I have heard a lot about this coming soon, you know, the, the coming soons. And I know that's a huge thing happening right now. Yes, at the local level, we have tried to 
come up with a solution with the coming soon properties, how, you know, people are going to take Pocket advantage listings. of it yeah. and abuse the policy. But other people really do need the policy and it can benefit our clients, which is the number one thing we should always consider every time. How does this benefit our clients? Does this benefit our buyers and sellers? So um, thankfully, NAR has stepped in and mandated a policy that we have to, um, you know, we, we have to adhere to. Um you know, under their rules. And they do have answers to the questions that we couldn't come up with. So it's, it's a good policy with our um, coming soons. And um, fair housing, uh, there's diff- there's definitely um, more. I'm sure there's big talk about that with, yeah. with the Newsweek story coming out. And there's there's a lot of interesting parallels between coming soons and fair housing. I've read some some really interesting you know parallels with that but and and the the whole thing is equal opportunity for housing if you you know some agents are abusing the policy where they want to just why put a sign in the yard get get the buyer and not actually um, expose it to the public so one person who just happened to drive by and see that sign or, or however, by word of mouth, however they found out about that house, gets the house and all the other people that would have wanted it didn't even have an opportunity. Have so the whole, yeah. the whole reason behind this is everyone deserves a chance at homeownership. Equal opportunity um, is what we're all about. So that's, that's the reason for these new changes. And we want to make sure everybody has that opportunity. Well, this has been a lot. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for meeting with me. Thank you for being a part of my woke ridge. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I loved it. Thank you, everyone. You can listen to me on. You can listen to us on iTunes, and you can listen to us on Spotify. Thank you.